James chapter 4 this morning. And uh, I'd like to just read one verse for our text. James chapter 4 and verse number 10 is our text. It says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You know, the book of James uh, is, is quite a book when you think about the substance of the messages that James is writing. You know, through the years I've heard many sermons. Uh, I've sat in chapel for many years now hearing sermons every week, almost every day of the week. And that's not including what I've heard in churches. And uh, as I've been out and about, what I've listened for my own personal use, I've, I've heard a lot of preaching. And we live in a day and time where sadly enough, even churches are de-emphasizing the importance of preaching. And one of the ways in which they're doing that is they're reducing the amount of preaching in their congregations. I never thought the day would come when I would speak with independent Baptists that were in favor of having fewer services and uh, even scaling back so much so that some men only preach once or twice a week. Uh, I never thought that would be the case. I've talked with some and they're like, well, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say 11 a.m. Sunday morning and 6 p.m. Sunday night and, and 7 p.m. Wednesday night. You'll not find that in the Scriptures. And I say, you're exactly right. But the thing that I do find in the Scriptures ought to trouble all of us because the early church met every day of the week. And I really believe the answer is not less but more. Uh, We live in a day and time where meetings have been shortened. Uh, Now you have one-day revivals. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, uh, every church has to do what's in their best interest. But I I will say, I just don't believe the answer is less preaching. It's more. Did you know preaching will not hurt you? Good Bible preaching will not hurt you. Uh, It will not make you break out into a rash, go into hives and convulsions. On some weeks when my evangelistic preaching class is preaching and I'm at home, which may be a rare occasion when the two coincide, but it's possible for me to hear 14 or 15 messages in one week. And so I've heard a lot of preaching, but some of the hardest preaching I've ever come across has been preaching that I've read in the Bible. And James chapter 4 is one of those messages. How would you like your preacher to stand before you on Sunday morning? And here's his introduction. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come not they hence even of your lust that war in your members? I mean, just come out swinging. And he continues, Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and ye war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. That's point number one. All right, that's James 4 verses 1 and 2. Some of you would be like, what in the world has gotten into the preacher? But just when you thought it was going to lighten up, then he takes another swing and he says something like this. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's plain language, isn't it? By the way, that's a plain language that's sometimes missing in our culture and it's desperately needed. 
If you don't like hard preaching, don't read the book of James. I heard a preacher years ago, Glenn Jasper's old evangelist, he said this, it resonated with me. He said, hard preaching isn't measured in decibels. He said, it's measured in doctrine. And I'm going to tell you, the book of James has some good doctrine. But James is just swinging away to call your congregation adulterers and adulteresses. That's some hard preaching. But you know, I find something in James 4 that I think is important for us preachers to remember. Uh, There's some guys all the time, they're wound up in such a way to where they just say, no, 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 don't do this, don't do this, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, and that's the entirety of their message. But listen, if you're going to tell people what's broken, you've got to tell them how to fix it. And I feel sorry for the preachers that always point out the problems and never point to the solution. Because they leave their congregations hopeless, frustrated, not knowing what to do. But James, just like a good preacher, obviously he here is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. After talking about the fightings, and after talking about the spiritual adultery, so to speak, James realizes the importance of giving them hope and telling them how to fix it. And that's exactly what verse 10 is when he says to his audience, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You see, our need this morning is to have a heartbeat of humility. You know, without humility, it is impossible to experience the greatest blessings of life. You can just mark that down. Because you know what? Without humility, you're never going to get saved. Without humility and you don't see a need for God, you're, not, you're, you're, just, you're going to be totally out in the weeds. For me, when I was saved at the age of 12, there came a point where even in my junior-aged heart, I I awoke to the realization that I needed God and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I realized my need for a Savior. But listen, if you don't think you need to be saved, you're never going to humble yourself at the cross. And regretfully, I'm sure that there have been Christian college students through the years that walked in pride, never humbled themselves at the cross and are either headed to hell or they're on their way right now. Without humility, you can't experience salvation. Without humility, you cannot experience meaningful Christian growth. You can't grow if you're not humble. You know, some of you have come to school. You pay thousands of dollars every year because you already know everything. That puzzles me. You're a student. You're not on the faculty. But you know, you meet some people who are know-it-alls. I had a friend of mine years ago, he was just, when I first met him, I I came to the conclusion he was a know-it-all. He was an expert on everything. You could ask him outlandish questions and he could give answers that sounded very reasonable and plausible. You know, why does the moon look that way? Well, and he, he doesn't know what he's saying, but it sure sounds good. And sometimes people like that are hard to tell tell something to. And there are some of you here, listen, your greatest obstacle to meaningful Christian growth in your life right now may not be the devil. It may be you. 
You can't experience salvation without humility. You can't experience meaningful Christian growth without humility. You can't experience restoration without humility. You know what? I've seen some students through the years fall hard. And then I've watched them get up with grace. You know, some of the most beautiful stories, the people that have come through this campus, it's not the guy who was 4.0 and he was multi-talented and had everything handed to him. Some of the most beautiful stories were people who fell thundering to the ground because of their own stubbornness and rebellion and they humbled their hearts and today they're knocking it out of the park. There's some of you here, you've got major, maybe you have a major issue, you have a problem, maybe there's something that you're dealing with. I promise you, humility will lead you to restoration and you can go forward. And the truth is, a lack of humility keeps us from experiencing revival. Matter of fact, we'll never think we need revival until we humble ourselves. Don't you believe for a moment because many of you sitting in here would be considered the cream of the crop of your youth groups because you have a desire to serve the Lord, don't you think for a moment that you don't need revival? Just because I'm an evangelist, I'm a faculty member, I'm a staff member, I do a little bit of everything. Listen, just because I may function in those capacities, when I think my position in and of itself doesn't make me a candidate for revival. It excludes me from revival. I'm desperate in need of revival. I need humility. And it may be that the greatest works to take place this week are being hindered, not directly by the devil himself, but the pride of our hearts. You know, some people are very proud in the sense that they're proud to be rebels. But I found some people, they're quote-unquote proud to be spiritual. You see, pride wears many masks. Some forms of pride have no standards. Some forms of pride have them all the way to the hilt. Listen to me, wherever you're at, hear James' admonition, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Do you have a heartbeat of humility? To help you understand James this morning, I want you to see first of all his plea for humility. The very, very first word is humble, out of verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. What does it mean to humble yourself? Years ago I was talking with a friend of mine in college. And I hope that you'll have conversations like this right now while you're in school. I have conversations with friends. I had conversations with friends in school. And we talk about the Bible. Now, sometimes we talk about sports. I don't want to fool you into thinking we just talk about the Bible 24-7. Uh, there were a lot of other things that we talked about. But I'll tell you the conversations that I had with my classmates about the Bible, some of them lodged with me. And I was talking to a friend of mine. And I said, or he asked me, he said, Alton, he says, what do you think it means to humble yourself? You know, we're really good at throwing out these phrases. Humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. All it takes somebody in the congregation to say, well, how do you do that? Oh, no. And he asked me that question and it provoked me to thought. And I, I looked at him and I said, well, I guess at the time the best to know how to answer it is you, you just need to be really honest about where you're at. 
I don't know if that's the most theological definition. I don't know that it's the most substantive definition, but I think that's a key part of it. When you be honest about who you are and you're humble. This morning I wanted to preach from Matthew 15 about the woman, the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus. She was such a humble person. She came to Jesus in desperation and perseverance, but the part about her that really resonated is the reason she was there because she humbled herself. She realized that she was a Gentile, that she was an outcast to many, and Jesus even uses the term dog, and He says, we don't throw the children's bread to dogs. And this woman, instead of getting offended and bawling up her fist and say, oh, you called me a dog, she looked at Jesus and said, you're right, Lord, that's true. But she said, even the dogs eat of the eat of the crumbs of the table. This woman, she didn't have an ounce of pride. She was filled with humility. And as a result, her daughter was healed. God's plea to us this morning is to humble yourselves. Listen to me, that that plea, first of all, it has to be a purposeful humility. How do you humble yourself? Well, you don't do it by accident. A lot of times when we think about humility, we think about embarrassment. If I could use that term, we think about accidents. Every year I preach in scores of churches and you know every church has a different platform. Different shapes, different sizes. Some have long runways, others you can plunge to your death like this one. One wrong step and you're gone. And let's say during the course of the service, I walk down the steps and I fell to the ground. Now what would happen, you would look at me with that fake look of concern for about 10 seconds, and when you see I'm okay, then it's okay, we can all laugh about it. If you saw me after the service as you were heading over to the classroom building, you'd say, Brother Bill, I felt sorry for you, and I might look at you and say, I just want you to know that was a really humbling experience. That humbled me. Some of you ladies, you get a dress and maybe the, it's just a little bit long and you've not had time to get the proper hem. And as you're walking out in the parking lot, your heel gets caught in the hem of the dress. And you fall gracefully to the ground. Now guys just thud to the ground, but women somehow make it look stylish. And so what do you do when you fall? You get up and you look both ways to see who saw you. And then you scurry to the car and you sit down. Your friend gets in the driver's seat and she sees your red face and she's like, what's wrong with you? And you say, oh, that was so humbling. Oh, that was humiliating. Oh, I'm so humbled by that. You know, those things are just accidents. When James says humble yourselves, he's not talking about an accident. He's talking about a a conscious realization on your part that you have great needs and that you cannot fulfill them and that God is the only one who can help you. You know, there's no greater example of purposeful humility than Jesus Himself. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, "...who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation." I want to stop there for just a moment. You think about this, so many things today, not just in society, but even in church circles, it's about reputation. 
There's a difference now between reputation and testimony. I want to say it's important to have an exemplary testimony. But if you're here and it's about your reputation, you're not bringing glory to God. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men being found in fashion as a man. Here it is. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, Jesus just wasn't leaning over the banister of heaven one day and leaned too far and fell on the earth and said, Oh, well, I guess while I'm here, I'm going to die for mankind. No, Jesus, as He's on the right hand of the Father, as Jesus is in the presence of His, of His Father, He looks down and He purposefully is going to come to this sinful earth to seek and to save that which was lost. He humbled Himself purposefully. Now, when I'm talking about humbling Himself, it wasn't humbling Himself from sin, but He was humbling Himself and being made in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin. He's going to die for you. He's going to die for me. That was on purpose. I want to ask you a question. When's the last time you've purposefully humbled yourself? How does that happen? Sometimes it happens by uttering these two words, I'm sorry. Not if I offended you. A lot of times that language is just nothing more than saying something to try to gain peace but not really mean it. When's the last time you bowed your heart to God or bowed your knee to God and you said, Lord, this is where I'm at and I am not what I ought to be. You say, well, I don't know that I always come forward an invitation. I'm not here to tell you that how many times you come forward an invitation makes you spiritual. But I'll tell you what, you show me a person who never bows their heart to God and I'll show you a proud person. But this, this plea for humility, it's not just purposeful, but I want you to see it's personal. Humble yourselves. Now, do you think that was James telling his audience, hey, I want you to go after each other? I mean, after all, it's fun to humble other people, isn't it? Uh, some of you are looking at me like, I don't know what you... Yes, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> have you ever wanted to humble somebody else? I have. I remember I was playing in a baseball game when I, it was one of the last games that I ever played. And it was a game where we were getting thrashed by my cousin's team. And uh, that was bad enough. And the coach pulled me out of the outfield. He said, listen, can you just get on the mound and get us out of this inning? He said, this is horrible. He said, just get us out. I said, all right. And so I go to the mound and I start warming up. I played baseball with these guys all of my life. So I knew them well. And I watched the next kid who was getting up to bat. He had batted right-handed all of his life. And I watched him, and he's warming up left-handed. The boy had never swung a bat left-handed in a game that I had ever seen. And I thought, you know, these guys have gotten cocky. And sure enough, they said, we're beating them so badly, we're going to just bat the rest of this ending on our weak sides like we've, ne we've never batted this way before, but we're going to try it. That burned me up. I'm not saying the way I felt was spiritual, but I will tell you it was human. 
I said, you know what, we'll get out of this inning one way or the other. We'll either be strikeouts or the hospital. But I, I pitched high and inside the first pitch and backed him off the plate and sent a message to everybody else, you better not do that. Boy, there's a part of me, I really love humbling other people, but I'm going to tell you, all of us have this disease. We don't like humbling ourselves. When James said, humble yourselves, it's not just take on the rest of, uh, of the crew and tell them all of their shortcomings. When's the last time you come to grips with the deficiency in your life and you've dealt with yourself personally? There are some people, they're really good at picking out everybody else's problems. Beware of the people that you hang around and they always air everybody else's. Did you hear about this? They did this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that. And they talk about everybody else's negativity because mark it down, when you're not in their presence, they'll talk about yours. But you show me a person that admits their own shortcomings. And he's more interested in humbling himself than humbling other people. That's the person that God uses. When's the last time you've humbled yourself? I think one of the greatest examples in the, New Te- or the Old Testament of, hum- of humbling someone is when God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the leader of the known world. He had the world by the tail, so to speak. And at one touch of God's hand, God brought him to his knees where he had no sense. And he grew long hair. He dribbled all over himself and lost his senses. Why? It was just a stroke of God's hand and God humbled that king. And if God can humble Nebuchadnezzar, he can humble any one of us in this room. You know, I'm very careful about using illustrations from the dean of students' office because everybody feels like they're going to be a sermon illustration. But you know what? On occasion, people do make mistakes and they come back and they say, listen, if you ever have the opportunity to tell my story, please tell it because I don't want anybody else to repeat it. And that's what I'm about to share with you. When I was a dean of men years ago, there was a young man who came. He was a very angry man. He was pent up with a lot of pride. You couldn't tell him anything. He had transferred from another Bible college and he thought a change of location would change everything. Listen to me, a change of location doesn't change your character. If you hop from here and you hop to somewhere else but you don't let God get a hold of your heart, you're not even putting a band-aid on the problem. And he was a very angry man. One night I got a phone call late at night. He and another student had been involved in an altercation where he almost gouged the eyes out of the other young man. And so I found myself at 11 o'clock at night with this student and the dean of students, and I'm a young, green, behind-the-ears dean of men just sitting there watching what's unfolding. And I'm watching the dean of students talk to this young man, and the more he talked to him, the angrier he got, and his pride swelled up. And I'll never forget, the student, who was a pretty good-sized fella, stood up and he leaned over the desk to give a message to the dean of students. And the dean of students at that time was a Vietnam vet. And I watched him stand up. And he took his big hand and finger and he said, If I were you, I would sit down. And I have a front row seat to all of it. I'm just like... (laughs) 
You know, that's one of the last memories I have of that young man as a student because he left that, that December and never returned, went to another Bible college. Fast forward many years later. I'm now the president of the school and as I'm standing out in the office area, I look and I see this man now. He, now he's not just right out of high school. And I see this guy and his wife and they're walking in the auditorium or they're walking into the administration building and I think to myself, oh boy. But that young man had something a little bit particular about him that day because he had a red and white cane that was about that long that guided his way as he found the door and he and his wife entered in. And when I saw him, immediately there was such a noticeable change. There was not a defiant, rebellious, hateful person, but you could tell something of substance had happened in the man's life. We walked into my office. He was telling me about the ministry that he was in. And I said, what happened? He said, well, you remember how I left Ambassador? Just full of myself. He said, so I went to another Bible college. And he said it was near a large city. And he said, one night while I was out and about, I got into a gang of fellas and my mouth got me in trouble. And he said, they beat me and left me for dead. And he said, when I woke up, I couldn't see. He said, I've lost my sight. But he said, I'm the better for it. You know why? Because God humbled him. Now young people, let me tell you, you've got an option this morning. You can either humble yourself or let God humble you. And you know what I found by experience? I would rather deal with it myself than let God just have to do it in such a way that it's just, it's, it, it's devastating. You know, there are some of you, listen, you may have some things that are boiling over in your heart, God's dealing with you about, and you just don't, you say, I don't want, no, I don't want other people to think badly of me. Listen, you've got to get over those types of thoughts, and you've got to say, hey, I've just got to come clean before God, because if you don't humble yourself, listen to me, God has a way of humbling us. Number one, the plea for humility, but second of all, I want you to see the place of humility. The Bible says, humble yourselves, here it is, in the sight of the Lord. In other words, it's humbling yourself in God's sight. I remember as a, uh, I was in junior high, uh, I had a science teacher. She was a leftover from the 60s hippies movement. And uh, I mean, even in the 80s, she dressed that way, talked that way. I mean, she was flighty. And... Uh, well, I remember one day she was leaving the class. She said, now, folks, I'm going to go to the principal's office. I'll be back in just a few moments. Well, no sooner than she shut that door and her heels started clicking, I'm going to tell you what, the classroom went berserk. Because once she was gone, I mean, I, I didn't know that guys carried straws from the cafeteria and were so, so accurate with spit wads. I mean, for about two minutes, it was just a party. And the very moment they heard Mrs. Thompson's uh, heels click as she's walking back down the hallway, I mean, everything becomes subdued again. And when she walks in, everybody looks perfect, except for the spit wads that are on the wall that didn't fall down. You know, we were a class that was accustomed to living in the sight of Mrs. Thompson. 
And you know what? There are a lot of us in this room, we're really good at living in the sight of people, but we're not very good about living in the sight of God. When James says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, he was saying, listen, don't do this business of humbling yourself before people and people only. Is it good to humble yourself before a teacher? Yes, it is. But if it's not really in your heart, then it's bad because you're lying, you're being deceitful. In public high school, there was a football player who was a huge uh, lineman for the football team. And every day we would have what was called homeroom class. It's where everybody whose last names ended with A and B sat in there. The teachers took attendance and we went to our first period class. We noticed this fellow wasn't there and he walks in five minutes late. So once he sits down, we say, hey, what in the world happened to you? Why are you late? He said, oh, you'll never believe it. Now, this is a big lineman for the football team. He said, as I was driving to school, I was in a hurry. I was a little behind the time. And he said, a highway patrolman pulled me over. And he said, as the patrolman came up to the car, he said, I rolled the window down. And he said, I just started crying. A big lineman football player who could turn on the tears. He said, I just started bawling. I looked up at him. I said, boy, my mom and dad, they're going to be so upset. And I was just, I've had some bad things happen. I mean, just going on and on and on. And the patrolman took his license and registration, came back up and gave him a warning ticket. And the guy looked at us and he said, and I only got a warning. You know, that guy was really good at humbling himself in the eyes of a state trooper, but he didn't humble himself in the eyes of God. And you know, we see through that. I can relate that story, and you're like, I can see through that. Can I tell you something? God sees right through us. You know, we can say the right things and cry a bowl of tears before whatever authority in our lives, but there's a difference between really being broken for sin and being sorry that you got caught. And sometimes our hearts have a great trouble in discerning, are we sincere, are we not? Listen, are you the kind of person you humble yourself before your parents because you know you're going to get disciplined, but your heart is chock full of rebellion? Then my message to you is this, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You cannot have revival with a facade. And sometimes it's those that come from good homes. They come from good churches and they have learned to conform, but they're also learning another horrible trait and that I'll be one thing in the eyes of these people, but in the sight of God, you're something else. It's amazing. A lot of people today, they say they're refreshed by transparency and honesty, but yet they fail to display it in their own hearts. The place of humility, it's in the sight of the Lord. But the last thing that I want you to see is what I call the promise of humility. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Here it is. And He shall lift you up. You know, a lot of times when we talk about humbling ourselves, let's just talk, let's just talk about confession. That's just a way of humbling ourselves. A lot of times when we talk about confession as a means of humbling ourselves, 
what do we focus on? We focus on the ramifications of it. We focus on the consequences of it. And many of those are negative. Let's just say that you're living a lie. And you come clean. You know you're going to break a heart. You know that somebody's going to lose trust in you. And sometimes because of those consequences, we say, well, I'm not saying a word. And we cover. Because all we can see is, are the negative consequences. What happens when you go to somebody that you love or somebody that you respect and you let them down? Does it hurt? Yes. Does it hurt a parent when you talk to them and you say, you know, I know you laid this down and you told me not to do this, but I've been doing this secretly. Does that hurt a parent? It does. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Whenever maybe you're breaking rules and you find yourself in the dean of students office or maybe just in your household one day you find yourself having to confess something and you lose a person's trust, does it hurt? Does it cause negative consequences? The answer is yes. I can't erase that. But here's the mistake many people make. They only see the negative consequence but they don't see the positive ones. You say, what did you mean? Here's the promise. God said, if you'll humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He said He would lift you up. You know what the devil makes you want to think? The devil, makes you, the devil wants you to think this. That listen, you know what? You come clean during an opening of rival and you get right with God and God's got a big hammer and He's ready to smash your head in and say, yeah, you know what? I told you that's the way you are and boy, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, you big fat phony. But you know what an actuality would happen? You get right with God and you come to God with a broken and a contrite heart. And you know what? Instead of seeing this, you know what you're going to see? You understand that? And it may be that one of the hindrances to revival is that we are not willing to humble ourselves. And the whole time God says here, If you'll humble yourself, I will lift you up. I will exalt you. I will help you. But we have to swallow our pride. Probably one of the most invasive sins that we have seen storm a younger generation, and the truth is all generations, it seems like it's more and more prevalent, is the subject of pornography. By the way, it's not just something that affects men, it affects women. Sometimes it's a matter of consuming it. Sometimes it's a matter of of partaking in it, which making material that's pornographic. But I'm going to tell you, that's something that has such a stronghold on people today in so many forms and fashions. I remember I was preaching at a Christian camp years ago, and during the invitation, a young man came to me, and he said, Brother Beal, he said, I'd like to talk to you. And we went out, and we went to the cafeteria of that that camp. And he looked at me, and he said, Now, Brother Beal, he said, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody else. 
Now, I'm going to give you guys a piece of advice. When somebody tells you that, never. Never just without it. Oh, okay. Don't do that. And that's so often. I had that happen one time in the dean of students' office where I get, and it came back to bite me royally. Parents ready to set my house on fire, and they had every reason to feel that way because I foolishly gave my word. He looked at me and he said, Now, I want to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody. And I looked at him I said, Listen, I know that probably what you're going to tell me is sensitive, but uh, man, I don't know if you killed somebody or what. You know, I said, I, I said, I promise you this. I said, I won't tell anybody who doesn't need to know. He sort of looked at me. He's like, All right, I think I get what you're saying. And then this young man proceeded to tell me about how he'd been battling consuming pornographic material and it broken his parents' hearts. And he said, you know, he said, tonight during the service, he said, I, I dealt with it. And he said, uh, he said, you know, I asked God to forgive me. And he said, uh, but I don't, I don't want to talk to my parents about it. I said, why not? He said, well, you know, it was sort of private. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Was it their computer you were using? Yeah. Was it in their house? He said, yeah. I said, well, don't you think you owe them a conversation? He said, I just don't know. And I said, listen, I'm glad that you're talking to the Lord about this, but you've sinned against your parents. I said, and he just, there for a while, he really wrestled. You could see it on his face. just like, and finally, you know what? He said, I, he said, I think you're right. I'll never forget what I saw that evening. That young man took the phone. that I had my cell phone. I dialed the number. I said, here. I said, you go and do your business. And I watched him from a distance. It was nighttime by now. He was standing under a street light. And I, I remember when he started, I watched him. And you could tell he was getting into the conversation. And by this time, he's like hunched over sick while he's walking. And every passing minute of that conversation, I saw him stand up a little more and a little more. And he came back to me and he handed me that phone with a smile on his face. He said, you know what? I took care of it. And all is well. You know, he never would have reached that point had he not humbled himself. There's some of you, you're like, well, boy, I stand to lose a lot. I'll tell you what you'll lose. You cover your sin and you're going to lose a lot more than you ever could imagine. But you make a choice to come clean with God. Instead of being met with a fist, you'll be met with an outreached hand. And God said, I'll help you. But I can't force you to make that decision. I can't force you to humble yourself. It may be our greatest need this morning is just to have a heartbeat of humility. I know talking about immunizations right now and vaccines are really controversial, but when I was a kid, I had my shots. And if you didn't, that's fine. But uh, I hated going to the doctor to get shots because every time he gave me a shot, I'd cry. I remember one time going to Dr. Richard's office the whole way there in the back of the car. I said, I will not cry, I will not cry, I will not cry, I will not cry, I will not cry. And he gave me the shot and I cried. (laughs) 
But you know, there was one object that was in Dr. Richard's office that, man, I loved to toy with when he wasn't in there. It was the stethoscope. Like two rubber garden hoses hooked to a metal disc. (laughs) This is the real thing. And I remember one time taking the stethoscope, putting it in my ears and taking that big metal disc and I made a bad mistake. I tapped on the end of it and when I did, it just about blew my eardrums out. But you know, it was amazing to me. He could take that one instrument and he'd put that instrument on my chest. He could hear me breathe. He could hear my heart. He could tell details about me that nobody else could know. Why? Because of that human instrumentation. Young people, listen to me. Without any human instrumentation, today God knows every one of our heartbeats. He knows whether they're beating with pride or our hearts are beating with humility. And so as I close the message this morning, I just give you this plea one last time. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up.